0: It was so exciting to come into church this morning. One of my good friends, someone I love very, very dearly, came in and I saw them and I said, I don't know who it was, I said, hi, Annie, how are you? It's great to see you. And they really, really warmly, they said to me, hi, it's good to see you. And then they did that 30 minutes, seconds later and said, sorry, I just forgot your name. (laughs) So it's been nice to know how well I've been missed and loved. (laughs) <laughs> While I've been away. And if you want to hear her share this, about evangelism this evening, come along. <laughs> on, a more, uh, on a more serious note, actually another thing that happened this morning, uh, the phone rang. I picked up the phone and it was uh, Ken McCall and he rang up to tell us that his mum Mavis passed away this morning. Now Mavis came to this church in the 50s with her husband John 60s. If you go upstairs and look at those photos on the back wall, and you see the photo from the 60s, Mavis and John are sitting on the far left. Uh, they were part of this. They were heart and soul of this church for decades. Uh, they left about four or five years ago. They moved to a retirement village over near Glenhaven and started going to Castle Hill Baptist. But uh, Mavis has really, really impacted this fellowship. And so she is with the Lord. She was in a hard place, and um, she lived a good and fruitful life. So. I'll let you know more about funeral arrangements for those who will be interested, but it is not worth the while noting uh, the passing and the significance that Mavis McCall played in this church over many, many years. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Mavis and for her um, faithfulness and service for you. We pray that you'd comfort John at this difficult time in the family, and we pray that you'd bless us as we look at a little bit from your word here, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to do something fancy. I'm going to, we're trying something fancy this morning. Um, if you see me play with my phone, it's not because of phone attachment. It's actually our new clicker. And if it doesn't work, you'll hear me saying, next miles a lot. <laughs> well, absence makes the heart grow fonder, so they say. And i tell you what, I didn't miss sermon preparation. I, I didn't miss organis- organising things. I didn't miss nights out. I didn't miss issues. You know, you get issues in church life. What I did miss, it was exactly what my notes say. This is exactly what Anna said. We missed you guys. Um, it was nice. And uh, it was great to be with Anna for six, six, uh, six weeks in, in, in overseas. But you're sharing it together and you want more to share it with. So I'm going to share with you this morning <laughs> some of what we, we did. Um, I'm going to share some just a simple reflections of what we thought the Spirit was teaching us in our time away. At least one thing most of which was spent at St. Andrew's. That's a very slow slide change. We'll see how we go. Um, Which that previous picture was St. Andrew's in Scotland. One of the things we did, we went down to this beach and said thank you and reflected and watched the world go by a lot. We also read through the book of Acts, got about halfway through. And we kept asking as we were reading, well, what do we think God is saying to us? in our circumstances and I just want to share one thing that we noticed that has impacted us we were reading through we got to Acts chapter 9 which is where Saul or as we know the apostle Paul met Jesus Christ and started to become a follower of Jesus we just read an account of that Paul was a Jewish zealot of the greatest sort a very religious passionate man about God and in Jerusalem the city where he was one of the big wigs there was this movement that started where people said that Jesus of Nazareth is the Jewish Messiah he is the one we've been waiting for and he has risen from the dead to demonstrate that he is Lord and many many thousands of people were believing this message and starting to follow this Jesus and it just got to him just as it got to the religious leaders and he couldn't stand it says we've got to stop this We've got to weed out these followers of Jesus. and So he started to met along with others, but he was a leader to actively and aggressively persecute Christian people in Jerusalem. The problem with doing that is the Christian faith, the Christians were a little bit like cobbler's pegs or farmer's friends. You know, you walk along, they get stuck to your socks and stuff, and you take them, and then you just spread them. They're like a dandelion. Let's get rid of the dandelions. Off go the seeds, and they spread. As soon as they persecuted the church in Jerusalem, it just spread to other areas. And now, in other cities, it's growing. Paul's getting angry about this. And so he organises with the chief priests to go to these other cities to get the Christian Jews... And bring them back to Jerusalem and deal with them. So he gets authority, takes a bunch of people off to Damascus, which is now Syria, about two, 300 kilometers away. And he's on the way to Damascus, just about to enter the city, when whoosh, this bright light, he falls to the ground. And he has his own Damascus Road experience. The first one. It's a big deal, this. He tells the story. The story's told three times in the book of Acts. The one that we read was for the second time. When Paul is in Jerusalem, a mob he's basically arrested for telling about people about Jesus. He says, Let me just tell the people what's happened. Let me share my testimony. Let me tell you how I became a follower of Jesus. And that's what we read as he's telling them. He says there in verse 6. About noon, I came near Damascus. Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Imagine, you're on a mission. You've got a great sense of purpose. You've got all these people following you. You've made a lot of sacrifices. It's a long road. You're not far from your destination. And and you're on your knees, and you see, oh my goodness me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Oh my goodness me, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing here? And Paul says, it's recorded three times in all three accounts, exactly the same words, Paul says, who are you, Lord? Really, the question of the ages. And the answer he receives, again, in all three accounts, is the answer of eternity. Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus. And as we read through Acts, you kind of think, well, who is this Jesus? And Anna and I were struck by saying, do we know him as the person we read about in the book of Acts? Or do we domesticate him? Or displace him? Or ignore him? Or maybe even politicize Jesus or traditionalize Jesus or spiritualize Jesus? Or turn him into a piece of artwork that is a talisman for us? And how does knowing Jesus impact our motivations and our choices and our comfort and our behaviour, if we know the real Jesus? So the question struck Anna and I, who are you, Lord? And that answer, I am Jesus. Who is Jesus? You know, the most basic Christian confession is that Jesus This is the most basic thing a Christian can say. Jesus is Lord. Go to the Apostles' Creed from the 4th century, a very early statement of Christian faith. I believe, we Christians, we believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Yet human, born of the Virgin Mary, and yet lived and suffered under a real time and real place under Pontius Pilate and was crucified, died and was buried. Jesus who went to the grave, the saving one, he descended to the dead. And yet on the third day he rose again and he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father from where he will come to judge the living and the dead. Now that's just a statement of creedal faith. It's not in the Bible. But it says that he is the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed one, promised in the Old Testament to come from the line of David to establish an eternal rule of righteousness and justice. It's said so many times in the Old Testament, but just let me just take you to Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel has a vision, and he says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven, and he approached the ancient of days, this is God in his power and eternity, and he was led into his presence, and he, and he, the son of man, was given authority and glory and sovereign power. And all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This coming Messiah, this Son of Man, when we get to the New Testament, the first statement in the first book of our New Testament, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. We hear about his birth. An angel appears to Joseph and says, Mary's going to give birth to a son and you're going to give him the name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. He'll be the saving one. All this took place to fulfill what was said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This Jesus is God with us. At his baptism, a voice from heaven said, this is my son, a statement of being the Messiah. This is God's son. This is my son, whom I love with him. I am well pleased. This Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is the promised Messiah, the son of God, God with us. If we go to the new testament writings we get to the apostle paul the start of the book of romans he talks about the gospel it's all about the gospel good news the gospel god promised beforehand in his prophets through the holy scriptures the good news about his son the messiah who to his earthly life was descended from david as promised about the messiah And who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. That is, who is he? Jesus, Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord. How big can you get? Well, let's go to the book of Colossians. The Son, this Messiah, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn, the heir, the ruler over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven that we don't see and on earth, things that are visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, wherever they may be, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Is it big enough who this Jesus is? And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, this Jesus. And he is the head of the body, which is the head of the church. He is the head of his people. And he is the beginning, and he's the firstborn from among the dead. He's the start of the new age in the resurrection. So that in everything, this Jesus might have supremacy. Everything. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in this Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, through his blood, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, this Jesus of Nazareth. This Jesus that Paul met. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. We go to Philippians 2. We've been looking at this in our series, of Thinking on Humility we're to be, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, what's that? To have the same mindset as the Messiah, Jesus? Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. I am God, but no, no. Rather, he made himself nothing. Humble Jesus. By taking the very nature of a servant, he was made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Who is this Jesus? Therefore, God exalted him, who is this Jesus, to the very highest place. And he's given him the name that's above every name. He's given him the name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven. And down here on earth, and even under the earth. For he is supreme, he is Lord, he is King. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Who is this Jesus? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, he says to Paul, whom you are persecuting. Get to the end of the Bible. John has a vision. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he judges and makes war, wages war. Very high imagery here now his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many many crowns and he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself and he is dressed in a robe dripped in blood and his name is the word of god you see the, we're just struggling to say how wonderful and majestic and great and glorious this man is and the armies of heaven were following him Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp-edged sword with which he will strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will tread the winepress at the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh is written this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Is our vision of who Jesus is big enough? Mine's not. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Does it change anything? Or have we domesticated Jesus? Have we traditionalized him? Have we spiritualized him? Politicised him? Ignored him? Put him on the top shelf? Worn him as an amulet round our neck? Now for some holiday snaps. There is lots and lots of evidence of the Christian faith in Europe and Scotland. We went to Belgium and Scotland in our time. They're the two countries we went to. This is in Belgium. This is, um, we stayed in Ghent, where Martin's family comes from. And uh, we were cheap, so we stayed a bit further out of town. And just around the corner is St. Anna's Church. They named a church after my wife. <laughs> and you can see there's an angel looking over Anna's Church, as there always is. And so I took this photo. I couldn't really get far enough back because it was such a big church. St. Anna's is a nothing church in Ghent. No one goes to St. Anna's. In fact, you can't go, the doors aren't open. St. Anna's runs a service once a month because they share them around all the other massive churches in Ghent. And we went into some of the other massive churches and they're amazing. They're huge, they're grand, they're glorious, and they're empty. We went to the cathedral in Brussels. I don't know if it was as impressive inside as some of the churches in Ghent or Bruges that we saw, but it was impressive. It was It's a bit like, where's Wally? Where's Jesus? Well, there was a bit over there on the side, actually a lot, of, a lot over there on the side with the big Mary holding the little baby Jesus with a little crown on his head with all these people praying. There was a lot of Peters with his keys There was pictures of Jesus surrounded by popes and other authorities. But I felt like Jesus had been politicised and ecclesiasticised and sacramentalised. Or maybe he was in a piece of wafer on this massive silver ornate thing. Or maybe he was just a bit of art, a fantastic art, on the wall, everywhere. Is that the Jesus? And I didn't see a lot of life and light in those churches. Maybe I didn't see enough, but that's how I felt. Back across the English Channel, let's go back to St Andrews. This is um, the cathedral at St Andrews, or the old cathedral, right? This is massive, massive complex. This was a huge cathedral, built back in the 1200s. Massive when you look at its footprint, with a huge monastery and priories to the side. You know, in the 1400s, the archbishop there was twelve. Because his dad was in the castle just down the way. And it was all about power and control and money and politics and religion. Don't get me wrong. And it's in ruins today. Go to the town of um, Elgin, you'll find another massive cathedral. I think this one's even bigger than the one in St. Andrews. It's every bit as big as what we saw in Europe, oh, except that it's in ruins. Same deal, lots of power, lots of money, lots of control, lots of politics. I think they lost sight of a vision of Jesus and they made it all about themselves and their power and their glory. This is Bewley, an old priory dating back to the 11th, 12th centuries up near Inverness. Um, massive history there, all in ruins now. But it's not just those old. Okay, I get it. You get old buildings, they fall apart, People, wars happen. I get that. The big problem we had in Scotland is there is massive church buildings everywhere with their spires reaching to the sky. It's almost like every town had a competition between every breakaway church that happened to build a taller spire, and maybe a bigger spire than the town just down the road. This is Perth, a lovely little town on the Tay River. I don't want to be too... I'm careful. I'm not sure... I, 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 I don't want to sound like I'm being judgmental or critical... Um, that's the church of scotland possibly a cathedral i don't know if perth has a cathedral or not but it's a big church in town Um, church of scotland's presbyterian for us Uh, it's a bit more complicated than that go there and there's rainbows all over the front of that church because they're saying we're accepting we're loving now jesus is accepting and jesus is loving but he also sets rules and he says this is the way to live and this is my world and i am lord And you must, he says to all of us, he says to me, I must repent of my greed. I must repent of my selfishness. I must repent of those things that don't reflect the glory of the image of God that I was made in. And this was not the only church that had rainbows all over the front of it that we saw. In in, in a society where, in those established churches, I don't mean to be I'm careful about, I don't want to sound judgmental, but you can just see it. You could just see that it was decaying. You could see they were playing at religion. Where was Jesus? What have they done with this Lord? Who are you? I am the Jesus revealed in my word, the Jesus risen from the dead. I am the Jesus who is the firstborn over all creation. I am Lord. What is he going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Well, you know, maybe not all the churches got it wrong. There was a big reformation that swept through, swept through Scotland where people discovered the word of God and discovered what it meant to be saved by faith. This is the East Church in Cromarty, which is on the Black Isle north of Inverness. Lovely, lovely, lovely little village. Oh, Bible, slide change error. Don't do that to me. Slide change error. Here we are. East Church in Cromarty. That's a beautiful church because it hasn't been in, no one's been in it for a hundred years because they had all these splits in the town and they the split away church built a bigger church with a better spire and everyone went over there and the beauty of this church is it's been preserved. so you walk into this church and it's just like it was a hundred years ago, which is a real sort of most time capsule church. but the thing is this is a seven or eight hundred year old church born built during the the um, Roman Catholic period where you can see the marks where the altar row was, where the people had to stand back and you couldn't go any further forward and all that sort of carry on. The Reformation came up and said, No, the church is all about scriptures and the word of God and the priority of Jesus. So they changed the whole church right in the center of the church as a pulpit because we're teaching the word of God. And you can see a small communion table, and then one, two, three sides, double-level balcony. Heaps of people, all centered around that pulpit. Say, oh, this is good, this is reformation, this is getting back to the basics and getting away from all the traps. Well, let me tell you about East Cromedy Church. It used to be that the important families in town would rent, particularly on the sides, the most expensive pews were the ones on the sides up the top. If you had money, you'd rent those ones. And we might have had those in our family for 150, 200 years, those pews. And if you didn't, weren't so prominent, so wealthy in town, you'd be in the middle at the back. Or downstairs at the back. And the people with all the money got to pick who the ministers were. That was the rules. The people who paid the most for the pew rentals. And the church, you just read through the history, it was all there. It was riven by all this power politics of people in the church arguing with one another about what the controls were, and they split up. And here's something from Sir, he was an important man, Sir Thomas Urquhart. He had a disagreement with the minister about the erection of a seat in the church. He said of his minister Gilbert Anderson, he is more like a scolding tripe seller's wife than a good minister, squirting the poison of detraction and abominable falsehood. So let's get the externals right. Let's focus on the word, but let's displace Jesus as Lord and fight with one another and think it's all about my power and control over this little family of Christian believers. And us Oh, you may not identify, but me identifying as a Baptist, our tradition is full of this sort of stuff. Where people forget Jesus and they fight with one another over chairs. And they abuse the minister or they abuse the elder or they abuse one another. Our tradition is just chockers with it. Because we forget who Jesus is. The church is the body of Christ. We have to keep Jesus central for our unity. We've got to live by his law and his rules. The risen Lord says, I am Jesus. He says, do not oppose my purpose. Do not injure my church. Do not hinder my church or quench my spirit. And the church is my body. So if you hurt my people, my church, you are persecuting me. Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Next thing Paul says, it's only recorded in Acts 22, not in the other two. He says, well, Lord, what shall I do now that I've encountered Jesus, now that I realize I'm wrong? What shall I do? It's the right question for anyone who's had an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus' answer in simple terms, a little bit summarized, is, Paul, get up and go. I am sending you. You will be my apostle, my witness to the Gentiles, so that all might come to know me. Now, I believe what Jesus said to Paul. Unique situation, yes, applies to each one of us. If you have encountered the true Jesus, he says, get up and go, I am sending you for my, to be my witness for my purposes. So you cannot encounter the Lord, as we've seen, and not be changed. He calls us to his mission. Well, I am not poor, but I did go to the Isle of May. The Isle of May is in the Firth of Forth between Edinburgh and St Andrews, big, big, big sort of, can't really call it a Bay Harbour, just call it a Firth, okay? Because that's what they call it. And uh, it's in the middle, and it's a bird paradise, if you're there at the right time. Puffins and other birds that I can't remember the names of, But Anna wanted to see puffins. She said, we've got to go see the puffins. So we jump on the boat. We were a week late. We didn't see zip puffins. They'd all left. They'd all gone out to sea. (laughs) But it was a beautiful, beautiful place. And what we did see was lighthouses. That's the big lighthouse on the top of the island, uh, built by Robert Louis Stevenson's grandfather and designed by him. This is a smaller lighthouse down on one side, of the island. Now what does a lighthouse do? Pretty straightforward. You put it up high, you put it in a prominent position and it shines light and says, here's where the island and the rocks are. Stay away, stay away. It's basically communicating, it's shining and communicating. Saying, here's where we are. Be careful. We um, caught the boat back to the fishing village of Anstruther and as we come into the harbour, you see that little light. On the edge of the harbour, there just guiding the way, so you know don't go through here. This is the edge of the harbour entry. And on the other side of the, actually, while we're there, there's two lights in this house. In this one, that's why I bought this for. Just where is it? There, Anstruther Baptist Church. There's a light on the other side of the harbour. Look at this. This is pathetic. It's rusty and it's old and it looks terrible doesn't it it's it's oh, hell guess what it's doing a great job it's got the light up there and it's shining the light so often we think we've got to win church life work on the package and I think it's nice to have a nice shiny light stand but what really matters is the light and that the light's shining and frankly that's a perfectly good light stick thing for the end of the harbor and it'll probably still be there in another hundred years despite the fact that it looks old and beat up and daggy now i did mention Anstruther the baptist church i think it's in this one too where is it i can't see it with that resolution maybe it's not in that one and it's just been on a boat for two hours okay have mercy on her hair Here's the light, Anstruther Baptist Church. Um, Actually, let me tell you about this. It's a lovely location, isn't it? The light's gone out. No one meets there anymore. Now, it's in a terrible location for a church. It's in a beautiful location for a renovated house if you want to go and buy it, renovate it, live on the water. But it's a terrible location. Parking's awful. Access is awful. Maybe they've moved somewhere else. But that light has gone out shining for Jesus. 20 minutes drive down the road, we're back at St Andrews, where we spent most of our time. And this church here is St Andrews Baptist Church. It's quite an impressive building, yes. Well, not really. Not if you're in St Andrews. Not if you're walking around looking at the churches of St Andrews. This is the most pathetic looking church of the lot of them. There are some very, very impressive big church buildings in St Andrews, and most of them are not very full. This church doesn't have a service on Sunday morning there their service is about three kilometers away in a very old beat-up school hall we're about 300 when we were there about 300 people gather in jesus name and they praise his name and they put him at the center and we had four sundays there and we were just so encouraged because as they met in that school hall they kept jesus first maybe not perfectly and they met here on sunday nights that sits about 250 people It's a great church. Let me show you some of the lights. This is Alan and Edna. I can't even remember their second name. They just had their 60th wedding anniversary. On the second last Sunday, the pastor got them up, gave them some flowers. After the service, it was very friendly people. After the service, we just happened to bump into them and start talking. They were just so lovely. They were so warm. It's, the pastor said about them, it's one of their church's first interracial marriages. You see uh, Edna's Welsh and Alan's Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she's just such a beautiful Welsh lady. Ooh. And he's a <laughs> Scottish man. And uh, <clears throat> he said, oh, you've got to come around and have a cup of tea with us. You've got, to, you've got to come around and have a cup of tea. So they gave us their name. We rang them up. Said, oh, please come. <laughs> so we went and had a... We spent two hours with them in their house. We're strangers from Australia with one more Sunday left to go. And they were just so beautiful. We met them the Sunday afterwards and it was like, they're our best friends. But what they were doing was saying, Jesus is Lord. We talked... Their daughter is a... Um, is a midwife who works in, um, in Tanzania on, um, I can't think of the name, where women have lots of problems. Um, fistula repairs, thank you. She works in fistula repair, works with a lot of Australians in Tanzania. She was home. We were talking to her that next Sunday and she says, Mum, they've been doing it their whole lives. That's just what they do. Edna said, I wish we could have had a meal with you. I wish we could have had you for a meal. They've, They've been doing it with students who come into St. Andrews, study at the university. They've been doing it their whole lives. Jesus says, get up and go. So Edna and Alan went straight home and said, come to my house and I'll love you in the name of Jesus. I don't think we do that anywhere near as good as they did over there. We say we're friendly. Well, I got rebuked. It's St. Andrew's Baptist. Let me show you another light shining. We're back in Ghent where all the massive churches, old churches are. This is the church Martin and Margot were married in. Pretty boring looking. (laughs) But they love Jesus in this church. And they try to keep him centre. It's struggling. It's got its own struggles. Let me show you some of the lights from Ghent. Yeah, we're sitting on a boat. Martin will tell you that Ghent is the Venice of the north and it's the best thing and the buns are the best there and the beer's the best there and the chocolate's the best there. Just talk to him. <laughs> It was, it was a nice place. And there's uh, Martin's brother Stephen and his lovely wife Marika and Judith. And Stephen and Marika have got a burden for their town. 70,000 students in that city, a few evangelical Bible-believing churches, mostly split and disorganised. They've got a burden that there would be a strong, healthy church in Ghent that loves Jesus and puts Jesus first. And they are genuinely burdened by it. Marika says, John, come here. Come here and serve. And I said, Marika, I don't know any Flemish. She says, it doesn't matter, John, you'll learn. <laughs> I said, I'm about to turn 53, Marika. and no, it didn't matter. Anyway. <laughs> but there was that burden that the light might shine brighter in their town with all of the students. In a town full of churches where you can hardly find Jesus. Who are you, Lord? Jesus says, I am Jesus. What does it mean? He says, Get up and go, let your light shine, be my witnesses. Let your life shine as you proclaim, as you just talk about Jesus. Let your light shine as you do church together and the body of Christ expresses what Jesus is like. Let your light shine in your very acts of love and hospitality and warmth and kindness. The challenge, a very, very simple challenge, is are we keeping Jesus at the centre as he is, King of kings and Lord of lords? And how is it changing our decisions, our motivations and behaviour? Are we letting his light shine in the darkness? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for sending your son. call him Jesus Lord. He came to love and heal and forgive and he's forgiven and healed so many of us. We pray that you would help us as a church and as individuals to keep him at the centre and to see his greatness and his goodness and his power and never, never, never to let that go. you might protect our church lord and help us to repent and submit to the lordship of jesus as we need we ask in his name amen